Thanks for listening to part one of my Audible original podcast. In part two, the saga continues as parents and children grapple with the fallout and finally confront the man behind Donor 9623. With startling discoveries and new secrets revealed, I take a closer look at the complicated dynamics of families born of the biggest hoax in reproductive history. Don't miss this gripping next chapter. An all-new Part 2 is available now, only from Audible. Visit audible.com donor. Where we left off, an Atlanta sperm bank called Zytex accidentally leaked the name of its prized donor to a group of parents who'd chosen his profile and had his biological children. That disclosure set off a cascade of frantic discoveries about this man, none of which had been shared with these families. After the leak started to unravel what they'd been told about their donor, the moms questioned everything. The profile had said he was pursuing graduate studies in science. Here's Angie, one of the moms. So then we're like, okay, all of these educational qualifications, does he have any of it? This is Donor 9623. I'm Dove Fox. One of the moms actually called around to some universities, found one that he was at, and they were able to say, oh, no, he hasn't been here since, I don't know, 1996. He was here for a year, full scholarship, but he didn't make it through. Was any of it true? One thread of their investigation had to do with some childhood photos of the donor. Maybe that wasn't even him. The mom zeroed in on a pair of shoes he was wearing in the picture. I actually at one point contacted the um, shoe museum here in Toronto so that I could find out if if shoes like this had been created yet because there's like a different color bottom on there and some sort of design. So you're really being detectives here. Yeah, they're moms. Once you become a mom, you're introduced into this protective bear club kind of mentality, right? The revelations kept coming. You said something about the criminal history. How did you find that out? One of the moms was able to get a background check done and pulled up his, well, actually two of the moms found that he had been arrested for break and enter, $5,000 worth of music equipment stolen. This was 2005, when he was 29 and had already been donating for five years. Court documents say he rented a van and broke into a house to steal a bunch of high-end guitars and amplifiers. He got 10 years for felony burglary, eight months in jail, the rest on probation. Soon after he got out, he was back at Zytex. I mentioned before, the government doesn't oversee most aspects of sperm banks. When things go well, parents are overjoyed and no one complains. But cases like this expose how fast and loose the whole enterprise really is. For one, nobody makes sperm banks report how many children are born from an individual donor. And there's no cap on the number of kids from any one person. Most sperm banks don't even keep track. Here's what's clear. 
9623 was a prolific donor. He donated for more than 13 years. But it's hard to know exactly how many kids came from donor 9623 because sperm banks aren't required to keep official records or report them to any central database. At a minimum, he has 36 biological children born to 25 different families scattered across at least six states, three countries, two continents. But there are almost certainly more. These numbers come from an email that a Zytex rep sent to Angie on June 9th, 2014. The email read, quote, Hello, Angie. Donor 9623 currently has 26 family units with 36 offspring, 17 girls, and 19 boys. Unfortunately, I cannot share any information on the ages of the children. But where did Zytex get that number from? It could have come from parents or fertility practices after a child was born. But no one has to follow up with the sperm bank. Seven of the 12 families I spoke to said they never let Zytex know they had a kid from donor 9623. Not only that, they said the sperm bank didn't even ask. One of those parents is Wendy Norman. She never reported the birth of her son Alex back to Zytex, so that 36 doesn't include him. Then there are the kids who weren't born until after Angie got that email in 2014. I heard from one 9623 mom in England who was pregnant when the news broke. So this number, 36, doesn't reflect her son either. After X amount of kids, it's like, yeah, I don't even want to know anymore how many there are. I was thinking one or two, but that many, it's like, yeah. This is Linda, another one of the 9623 moms. It surprised you. From all over the place, all over the States, some in Europe, like everywhere. I was just totally overwhelmed. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I had a hard time sleeping at night. We still don't know what the number is. It's not just Zytex. Most U.S. sperm banks have no enforced limits or reliable reporting about how many children come from individual donors. They will say on their websites, you know, we try to limit the number of families from any given donor to 25 children or 35 children. But then we know that those numbers can get much, much, much larger. That's Renee Amelin. She's a Yale sociologist who writes about assisted reproduction with a focus on sperm banks. So a man will provide a sample in this little plastic cup, and then sperm banks will take that sample and split it in as many as three or four or even seven or eight vials. Suddenly you get huge stockpiles of sperm from any individual. And that's how we are now hearing that sometimes that ends up with donors who have, you know, 50 or 75 or even 150 children. And that's just for a man who provides the minimum number of samples once a week for a year. Donor 9623 was at it sometimes twice a week for well over a decade. If you look at it from a business perspective, it's a simple matter of supply and demand. Zytex had a product people wanted. It makes a whole lot more sense for sperm banks to sell the sperm they have to anyone who wants to buy it, even if the number of children gets very, very, very high, there's not a whole lot of incentive for them to actually cap 
those uh, sperm donors to a certain number of families. They make more money if they don't do that. I knew that's how it works, but it was still shocking to hear Almaline say it. There's nothing stopping a sperm bank from selling as many of a donor's samples as it can. I had an interview with a CEO of a large American sperm bank, and he said this explicitly. He said, if I put on my CEO cap, I want a certain number of children per donor. But if I put on my customer service hat and think about those families who look out and see 10 or 50 or 80 other children born from the same donor, what number is comfortable? That many children from a single donor isn't just uncomfortable. It's a medical liability. Most people who have a disease, asthma, diabetes, schizophrenia for that matter, they might pass that risk on to a kid or two. But when a sperm donor produces scores of babies, that's another scale entirely. These kinds of stories show up in medical journals every few years. A 2012 article in the Journal of Human Reproduction reports on a sperm donor who had a condition associated with brain tumors that he gave to at least five children. There's another account from 2009 in the Journal of the American Medical Association about a donor with a heart disorder he passed on to at least eight kids, including a toddler who died from cardiac failure. Three years before that, in 2006, the Journal of Pediatrics chronicled a network of half-siblings who inherited a rare blood disease that can cause cancer and seizures. Parents in this case said they'd reported their kids' problems for years, but the sperm bank didn't tell other families and continued to sell the donor sperm. Which brings us back to Donor 9623. I needed to talk with someone from Zytex who could shed light on what had gone wrong in this case. I reached out to dozens of current and former employees at the company. In the end, only one of them agreed to speak on the record, Dr. Michael Tucker. Tucker is no longer with the sperm bank, but for a decade, during the same period that 9623 was a donor at Zytex, he was the company's chief executive officer. What was your first reaction when you heard about that case? It wasn't complete lack of uh, credence. It was like, yeah, that could happen, but I'm not quite sure how it could have happened. He started producing samples back in the late 90s or 2000, something like that. And that was probably when I came into the industry uh, in the mid-2000s, and it seemed like, oh, yes, uh, it's a little bit loosey-goosey. Tucker looks and sounds a bit like Patrick Stewart from Star Trek. He comes from agricultural roots. Think Jean-Luc Picard meets Old MacDonald. He's not a medical doctor, but a Ph.D. He pioneered a couple of groundbreaking fertility techniques in the 90s. I'm much more interested in the scientific side technologically, I grew up in England, rural community, on a dairy farm, which was maybe in some ways formative for me, seeing the bull on our farm or several bulls being replaced by the AI man, the artificial insemination vet. Tucker told me that while he was at Zytex, the donor vetting process began with a straightforward questionnaire. Did your grandmother have Parkinson's or, you know, any notable diseases in your family history? There would be no seeking out actual medical records. This information was entirely self-reported. According to Tucker, 
the most important part of the vetting process was an interview. That's where you'll end up getting much more focused psych screening from a psych professional and also genetic counselor who are all trained to pick up on red flags, even if that individual is attempting to lie. It's interesting how you can develop a feel for an individual. In other words, this process really boiled down to one very subjective thing. What kind of vibe did this guy give off? They would spend a lot of time being counseled by the experienced individuals at any given sperm bank, who pretty much did a good job in terms of weeding out some of the more suspicious characters. The case of Donor 9623 seemed to have come as a complete shock to Tucker. Industry-wide, we were all somewhat knocked sideways by this revelation, if you will. Yeah, it was a a profound wake-up call for the industry. Why would the industry be so surprised if there were no criminal background checks and it didn't ask for a school ID and took the medical information on faith? I think he was taken more at face value by his apparent... Uh, his personable nature, and, you know, it it was a ruse. It was a good con. He managed to sucker that individual, individuals, uh, extremely well. This was such a sort of flagrant uh, abuse of the system by this individual, an egregious case of how somebody who I presume suffer from sort of delusions of grandeur on occasion, depending on his mental state, could perhaps carry off a ruse such as this. I think it was just like, woo, you know, we, we've got what seems like a really great donor. And, you know, perhaps you just ran through the process without having your antennae up to what was uh, an individual who was clearly not of the best character. Tucker didn't mention it, but there's one other important fact worth raising here. A disclaimer Zytex had, a kind of buyer beware, that appeared in the long-form profile for Donor 9623. I saw a few other Zytex profiles from around that time with the same disclaimer. Angie pulled it up for me. Yeah, I wonder if... Yeah, can, can you read that? Yeah, so this comes underneath the donor health information a section of the sort of questionnaire that they fill out. And it says, no, the medical and social history was provided by the donor and cannot be verified for accuracy. So what so, do you make of that? Um, well, it can be verified because we did it. So they're just trying to do the don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Um, not set themselves up to be liable for anything. Until now, we've heard from the parents, just moms actually, who picked donor 9623 from a catalog of profiles. But when a woman goes through the process of donor insemination, there's another party involved too, the doctor who performs that procedure. In fact, this might be the person who suggests a sperm bank in the first place. One such doctor is Al Uspi, a fertility specialist in Vancouver. He also sits on Zytex's medical advisory board. 
USP is renowned in the field of reproductive medicine. He's been helping people get pregnant for almost half a century. He deals with a handful of sperm banks, but mainly Zytex. We tell patients that all of the information that is available regarding their medical history and their family history and social history is included in their patient profile. We tell them that that's all the information that's available to us. And what, what do your patients say? I think the majority of patients, if not all of the patients that I can think of, say, you know, I'm happy with what is, what's here. I grant you they're all assuming that everything that could be known is there. Do you feel confident that patients are made really clear that this information just might not be true so that they really understand that? Personally, I never say to the patient, this information is not be true. I tell the patients that this is the information that's available on the donor. So it may, it may be that, they, that no one says this to them and that the patients don't. Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible. And that the patients assume that it is true because it's represented like that. That's correct. I think that that should be an important statement, that we cannot verify that everything that has been included in the patient profile or whatever the, the piece of information is, is true. So it strikes you as a problem. Yeah, so of course. It's a, a messy. It's an issue that most of us who practice medicine never really thought about. Why? I don't know. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've known that patients have asked, but I'm assuming that everything that can be done to verify what they have told the bank is true, but the disclaimer is something that, that, that we've, I, I personally have never thought about. As for the moms I spoke to, most of them didn't remember having seen the disclaimer either. Would it have made a difference if, if the profile that you saw had included that note? Absolutely. If, it, if they said we can't really, we, what was the, the term we can't? Medical and social history was provided by the donor and cannot be verified for accuracy. Yeah, just that, knowing that, cannot be verified, would sound alarms for me. 9623 would not have been, like I would not have chosen him. But I was told and told time and time again, that was the guy. This disclaimer is nothing at all like what you read in the company's much more visible marketing materials. According to the Zytex website at the time, quote, We generate volumes of medical, psychological, genetic, and social information about the donors. The process of qualifying is intense and arduous. In the words of Zytex's former CEO, Only about 1% of initial candidates make it through that process. In all of its promotional language, Zytex signaled a rigorous screening procedure that yielded men of the highest caliber. In big, bold letters, the Zytex homepage declares, Sleep well, knowing you've chosen well. What I realized listening to Tucker is all this talk about top-shelf donors has nothing to do with genius IQs and fancy degrees from elite schools. That's the part they sell customers on. But the real vetting process is just a matter of biology. 
how many motile, normally shaped sperm did you have? And did it come from a fecund individual? Could you actually make babies with this? When Dr. Tucker talks about this stuff, he sits up in his chair, gets more animated. We kind of grew out of all of us uh, in the early days, pretty much came out of the animal husbandry, reproductive large animals practice. And so that was the main focus of our success. I wondered if scientists like Tucker were so focused on sperm that they'd given short shrift to where it comes from. People and their mixed bag of motives, behaviors, and temperaments. When the truth finally came out about Donor 9623, Angie, Wendy, and the other moms, they wanted to know how many other families are out there who still don't know. Because if your child's at increased risk for schizophrenia, this information is crucial. Parents need to know what to look for because otherwise these signs, like withdrawing from friends or hearing things, can be hard to distinguish from the usual growing pains or a lively imagination. So the key is knowing they may be a symptom of something more serious. If you don't catch those early and get help right away, schizophrenia is much harder to treat. The prognosis, way worse. There's another thing, too. One that especially matters to parents of teenagers, like Alex. You can't ever take psychotic drugs. This includes marijuana. All of this because one time can trigger it. So you just don't ever do it. For kids who inherit a vulnerability to schizophrenia, research suggests that using drugs like marijuana can increase the risk of developing the disease. Marijuana is rampant at the high schools and the, the kids these age. And I don't, I mean, what if, what if, what if? It's legal everywhere. And kids, teenagers, try it. All they have to know is don't. Zytex could make sure these families know. It could notify every single one it sold the donor sperm to, however many there are out there. How hard is that? You send out a letter. It doesn't cost them a dime. That way, those parents could be on alert too. And there could be lots of them, people who weren't on Zyconex when Angie found out or didn't happen to stumble on the news coverage like Wendy's son did years later. There could be many 9623 families who have no idea, even now. Why do you think so many other families don't know still? I would have never done a search on the donor number. Why would I do that? A lot of reason for doing an anonymous donor is because you don't want to pull that in. I mean, if you wanted to have that relationship connection, you would have done it with someone you knew. Remember, Only a dozen or so of the 9623 families learned the truth along with Angie and the other mom detectives back in the summer of 2014. Others, like Wendy, didn't find out until the story made headlines a couple years later. These parents told me Zytex had never reached out to inform them about the very real risk of serious mental illness their children had inherited from their biological father. One family, who didn't want to be named, reached out to Zytex in 2016, expressing concern about reports that donor 9623 had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Later that day, they got an email from the company's medical director, Todd Spradlin, saying he'd, quote, received no information to confirm that donor 9623 has schizophrenia, and that, quote, 
It would be irresponsible of Zytex to notify clients of unsubstantiated claims. This exchange took place more than a year after the company had been formally notified of the alleged misrepresentations about Donor 9623, including the publicly available evidence of his mental illness. In fact, instead of notifying families, the experience of one mom I spoke with suggests Zytex kept trying to sell his sperm. This woman, who asked not to be identified, received the following email from Zytex's Canadian distributor in January 2015. Quote, I just had someone return six unwashed units of donor 9623 from reserve. Are you interested in any of these? You are my first to contact. Let me know. The mom replied in April, sending links to a news article about donor 9623. I am absolutely horrified, she wrote. The rep confirmed Zytex knew what was being alleged about the donor. Quote, Allegations have been made against Zytex Corporation, but have not been proven in a court of law. Zytex is confident there was no misrepresentation about the donor. This is probably another good place to say I made many attempts, through calls and emails, to get someone from Zytex to speak with me for this story. The only person I ever heard from who's currently affiliated with Zytex is the corporation's lawyer, Ted Lavender. Lavender told me no one at the sperm bank would comment. As I was wrapping up my reporting, I had an independent fact-checker reach out to Zytex one last time with a long list of specific questions I had for them to give them a chance to clarify any of it. The fact-checker forwarded the email she got back from Lavender a few hours later. Here's what it said. As I explained to Dove Fox previously, neither Zytex nor I are interested in participating. This includes the fact-checking portion of the project. Please make no further contact with Zytex or its employees in this regard. If I had sat down with someone from Zytex, here's one of the first questions I would have asked. After the sperm bank was presented with good evidence that donor 9623 carried risks of serious illness, why didn't they tell all the families right away? I suspect one reason they might not have is to avoid potential liability. Telling those families could invite lawsuits or make it seem like the company was admitting they did something wrong. But I'm guessing Zytex would say it's about something else. Privacy. Sperm banks work hard to keep donors and families apart. This separation is supposed to protect both sides from unwanted contact or intrusion by the other. But that distance, it has another effect too. It insulates the sperm bank's practices from scrutiny and creates a climate where deception seems almost inevitable. That's next on Donor 9623. 